everyone. Welcome to the Explore the Extraordinary podcast. My name is Betty Guadagno. Today I'm joined by Darren. We're going to be talking about all things spiritual. And Darren actually really helped me a lot in being able to bring this conception to reality. I have no idea how to do a podcast, no idea how to like work Zoom or any of the platforms that we use to record. So Darren was really instrumental in making this all happen. So I'm eternally grateful and welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks. Nice to be here. Uh, nice to be here. So um, you have a podcast of your own, which was something that was really helpful that you allowed me to sort of come into like your world and understand how you work. And uh, I'm wondering if maybe you want to talk a little bit about what your podcast is about. Sure. My um, podcast is called uh, the Seeking Eye Live Exploration Podcast. It's based on my Seeking Eye project, which was originally supposed to be um, just a little local kind of get together for people to talk about life after death and then nature of consciousness and things like that but kind of evolve into a into an online podcast um which began actually with talking to someone who was a still is a um reiki practitioner uh, followed by reverend peter panagore and it kind of just spiraled on from there to uh, have all these different guests to talk about all their experiences and and just the philosophies and sciences surrounding consciousness so i speak with um some of the world's leading researchers on some of these phenomena and some of the world's leading philosophers and thinkers on them as well and um, just to try and get a variety of different perspectives um not just proponents of survival ideas or, or spiritual ideas but also the uh, the other side the skepticism side of, of things um which i try to be as open as possible to to both to allow um to allow the full range of ideas to be displayed uh, i also do host every now and then a debate between two opposing views although that's that's not as as often now because very few people come forward to actually do it in a in a um in a very respectful way because i've got very very high standards of mutual respect and it seems that a lot of debaters online just want to create controversy to to garner views for their own platform so not many people actually come forward to have a proper civilized debate um but there are a few good ones on there that's awesome. Um, I love yeah. that. I yeah, that's amazing. I'm curious, have you always been a believer in this sort of in the near death experience or did you come at it from sort of a skeptical point of view when you started doing research and looking into it? I was always very much um once you die that's it. Gone. And I saw no reason to believe anything other than the brain creates you and everything you are is your brain and once the brain dies of course there's nothing nothing left and that's what i was always taught at school and that's what i always believed um and when i was 12 i um i had a traumatic experience it probably doesn't seem that traumatic to most people but for me it was i fainted in a science lesson and i was always very nervous and very anxious as a as a kid um and that kind of triggered an anxiety disorder and depression for the next well up until my life now I'm 27 now so that was 15 years ago um and the anxiety focuses around health and of course that entails death and I'm always terrified that I'm about to about to die for whatever reason which is frustrating to live with but it did kind of open the door to the whole question of all well, then I, I need to know what's gonna what's gonna happen and i started looking at it and of course i came at it with the idea that there's nothing 
But once I started looking at the near-death experience, I started thinking, this is a little bit strange, but not what nothing more I could that I couldn't attribute to a dying brain or, or a chemical issue at death. Um and that continued, but I kept looking at it and then I found things that wouldn't work for that such as when people see things that they shouldn't be able to see and report things accurately and see things in various different physical locations far away from where their body was at the time um and then from there it kind of divulged from from near-death experiences then to look at mediumship which i thought was nothing more than just frauds and it is to some to you know to a great degree but when you find the the genuine phenomenon that just again you shouldn't be able to to know things that they that the mediums tell you <clears throat> especially when it's information that only you are aware of and never shared and there's plenty of examples like that anecdotally but also through um you know, experimentation like through the Wimbridge Institute and things like that and then you know that kind of my interest I went to a couple of mediums one of them was terrible obvious cold reader one of them was interesting enough to get me a little bit more interested and from there it branched off into various different other phenomena such as um remote viewing out of body exploration uh you know all that all that sort of thing various psychic phenomena and it just kind of all kind of comes together into a picture that says that not necessarily i don't class it as paranormal but i i would say it suggests that there is a nature of, of humanity and a, and a form of science that is as of yet undetermined undiscovered by our current ability to measure i love this i love looking at this from like the analytical logical mind i for me i it was a lot of the same you know like i was a, i mean i was a very militant atheist you know like i had long philosophical rants about how there was nothing more and then I had my experience and I was like oh man I can't believe that I'm wrong this is crazy but I I love that um you've taken an interest you know maybe rooted by something that uh was harmful you know like the anxiety and and all of this stuff regarding health and it's sort of become a passion of yours it sounds like hmm yeah, well, I mean, it was a matter of survival for me, um, which often makes me wonder. You know, well, I'm I'm clearly coming at this at a biased perspective because I, I don't want there to be nothing after death, but I th I think that I've got enough sense around me to to be able to see those biases and and weed them out because certainly for you know when when you're living with an anxiety disorder and anxiety disorders are a lot more than people think because when you think of anxiety you think of being scared of everything. And it's it's much more a physical reaction because during anxiety, you know, for no reason, your body will flood you with all these stress chemicals and and adrenaline. And it makes you feel like you're physically about to die. Your heart rate goes up. You feel like you're in a dream world. You feel like you're about to lapse into a coma. You're, you're as crude as it sounds, your bowels absolutely go up the wall. And you really do feel like you're about to die. And for me, you know, that fear the only way to survive through that was to try and understand what would happen in the if that inevitable case does does arise so that maybe i wouldn't have to worry so much about it um i still yeah, do fear the idea of death because it is still unknown mm -hmm. uh but but i certainly now 
as a result of the research I did and I'm continuing to do, I, I now am, am pretty much convinced that there is at least a lot more to the nature of consciousness than the brain produces it. And once it dies, that's it. Okay. Yeah. I love that. So I'm glad that we're talking about this because this is like real human stuff, you know, like even though people are interested in the phenomena of near-death experiences, spiritual experiences, like we're humans too, you know, and I think that it's really important for that temperance to have that balance. I'm wondering, have, have you discovered any sort of spiritual tools or, you know, just even like regular um, tools that you use in your life to sort of deal with your anxiety that maybe you might want to share for somebody who's going through the same thing? Um, well, I did meditation for a while. Um, just the general kind of watching your breathing. And I, I, I followed various guided meditations online. I, I found some from the Indian gurus to try and follow all of who charged you a lot of money um unfortunately but generally they seem to help every now and then when when you were feeling particularly anxious and you just kind of follow your breath and all that. and then that i wouldn't say it was the tools themselves that have kept me going it was more that those tools kind of showed you how how your mind can be affected by something as simple as breathing and then finding certain tools that work for you i mean i was i i had various cognitive behavioral therapies um from different practitioners all of whom were kind of early 20s just out of university knew what they knew from books but not from experience and didn't have that kind of background to understand exactly how someone with anxiety and depression actually feels because they hadn't had the time which is understandable um and they would give me the, the standard kind of CBT theory, all of which I knew because I'd researched it all as soon as I started feeling feeling it because I like to understand things. Um, so I started researching all about anxiety and depression in the mind and, and cognitive behavioral stuff. So they were telling me things I already knew. Um, and in the end, the only way I could do, I mean, I, I was pulled out of school in my last year of, of what we call secondary school, you'd call it high school, which is the exam years. I was pulled out because I was becoming suicidal with just like feeling like I was going to die every day. It wasn't a good place to live. Um, and I was pulled out of school for that. Um, ended up being having to be home tutored, which took up all of our money. So we were in a pretty dire situation. Um, but I managed to get through it and not take my own life because A, of the research I'd, I'd done made me think, you know, maybe there must be a point to all this. Uh, but also just over the time, going through all the, all the therapies that didn't work, looking at some of these meditations, you, and I suppose because I was so afraid of death was the only reason I didn't take my own life. I would have done, I think, if if I wasn't so afraid of of that feeling of, of because at this time I, I believed there was nothing and that fear of not existing kind of kept me, it wasn't necessarily very nice because I felt trapped. I was very trapped. Because what do I do? Do I take my own life that I know I can't do? Or do I continue living, feeling deathly ill every day for potentially the rest of my life? I was It was extremely not a nice place to be. But I had to keep going because I knew I wasn't going to take my own life. So I had no other choice. And once you reach that level of hopelessness, everything that people worry about that 
you realize just isn't important you know what do i look like do i have enough makeup on um even you know and, and just go a bit controversial but even you know what gender do i don't do i identify as well, you know it doesn't matter because you know what's important in life is is being part of life being being a, a, a good human being you know helping other people helping yourself be finding happiness for yourself and others and it's something that's very experiential and just some it does really wake you up to what is important and what is valuable in life and over time just dealing with all this at you know 16 years of age i just ended up developing my own strategy over time and experience that help keep me on the straight and narrow i suppose and, and it, it's not 100 percent perfect because i still get periods of anxiety and depression which is it's just a, it's the cycle that's just how it works so there's nothing much you can do about it but what you can do is not is learn to not necessarily fight it because you won't win you're fighting against your own physiology you learn to live in peace with it and recognize it for the illusion that it is and that's one good thing about the whole spiritual questions is that you realize that the entirety of life is an illusion. It's a projection of, of your physiology. You know, the, the world isn't the world that it is. It's the world that our brains are able to perceive. And there's so much more to it that we don't understand. That, you know, everything that we think is is important and and necessary to live happily is just very much the epidermis of reality as it is. Oh yeah. I love this. You know, um, so as you're talking, what's coming up for me is the gift of desperation, right? Which is the acronym for God, you know, like for me, it was the same thing, you know, like different circumstances, but like my life had become so hopeless and like I had hit this intense bottom in my life. And that's where my transformation take took place because, you know, that's how alchemy works is like, you have to, I mean, for me anyway, I, I don't know about everybody else and I hope not for everybody else. I hope people don't have to get to like the bottom of rock bottom to transform. And I think that's why we come back and we share, you know, like our stories and just our, our experience as humans, you know, like, I think that there's so much in just sharing our experiences with one another because we all have a piece of information that maybe the other one needs, you know, or that can another person can find comfort in. So I, I am so grateful that you're sharing so open and vulnerably, you know, because like for me, that's a superpower for me, you know, like to be able to stand in my authenticity, like this is where I was, this is where I am now. I'm not perfect by all, by any means, you know, but I'm definitely better than I was. And this is what I did to get there. And and I love that you're, yeah, I, I love this conversation um, so much. And, you know, like uh, something else that I know about you is that you have some passions. You're very creative. I'm wondering how that comes into play in your life as far as, like, for me, I know that when I am in my creativity, I am kind of distracted from, you know, like my human stuff that's going on, like all of these shadows that want to come out and play like when I'm in my creativity I can really thrive so I'm wondering if maybe you'll talk a little bit about your creative endeavors hmm well I'm I seem to be quite a rare person in this in the sense that I seem to be pretty balanced with left and right brain I'm very very analytical and you know and to exacerbate that even further I'm learning how to code at the moment you know um 
computer well, it's, it's smart contract coding for anyone that knows cryptocurrency and for that you need a very analytical mind to understand how it all works and of course with seeking eye and, and looking at the philosophies and science of consciousness you need to be analytically minded but i do also have that that creativity side of me um which might run in my family to some degree but not extremely so you wonder is there something kind of that's beyond me that's kind of pushing me in this direction for whatever reason i don't know but i seem to be quite good at it um i i can play music um i've got my you can just see in the corner there my piano uh i've got a few guitars and a banjo which i never actually touch but i can kind of play all of those not professionally i never kind of went to lessons i used to go to lessons to learn the piano and it just got so boring that i just decided i'll do it on my own and i'm a lot better now than i ever would have been taking lessons but just for fun um, but the main thing I'm working on at the moment, as you know, is is my uh, my fiction book, which uh, is about foxes, because foxes have always been my favourite animal. Um, when I was younger, I used to have a YouTube channel for gaming, which everybody did at my age, at that age, kind of 16, 17. And um, I never wanted to show my face on camera. And people were always asking me, you need to have a face cam. So I said, right, well, what I'll do is I'll I'll create a character. So I, I found a little mask. It was just about the time when that Zootopia film was coming out. And, of course, the, the fox in that was all over the internet. So as soon as I looked up, I, knew, I was going to make a fox because like, I've always liked foxes. So I looked up fox masks on Amazon. And, of course, that one was the one that came up. So I bought that and used that as the face cam, and I called the character Russet. Um, and I played that for a while, and then I thought, this character that i kind of made up would make would probably be quite a good little book and i sat on it for a while i didn't really do much with it um and as i always struggle to sleep at night i always listen to a, an audio book to help me get to sleep usually the harry potters because uh, that's the ones we've got and i just kind of got back into the thought well i wonder if i can do that and i wonder if i can write a book so i thought yeah i'll have a go why not so I've started writing this this fiction book now. It's uh, forty thousand words. Yeah, <laughs> the average kind of debut novel is around sixty thousand to maybe a hundred thousand words. I'm at forty thousand words, and I'm about a quarter of the way through the story. So it's going to be quite a big one. But I've I've sent it to a couple of friends and a couple of people that I don't really know very well, but who I know read, and the reviews have all come back pretty much astounded that it's my first book, and they said it's it's going to do really 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 well. So I'm I'm confident that it, that it will i'm just going to keep going with that that's kind of my main creative thing at the moment not really inspired by any any kind of spiritual stuff i mean there will be spiritual aspects to the book of course because it's you whenever you write anything creative you generally tend to implement parts of your own life in it plus i think you know it'll just make a nice little uh nice little interesting story to add that sort of thing in so that's yeah. where i am at the moment creativity wise I love that. Yeah. Well, I think that being creative is spiritual, you know, like it, there is this creative action of the spirit, you know, for, for me anyway, that's that, you know, I, I feel like I'm channeling something when I'm able to be in my creativity. I don't really know what it is. I can't define it, but it doesn't feel, it feels like something's taking over, you know? So yeah. And I've read some of your book and it is like so rich with imagery and I love that in a book and um yeah definitely for like a first novel it's astounding because it's so detailed I and, appreciate it yeah I love that so much so did you, uh, did you uh did you manage to get to the end of chapter four because that's when it really does take hold of you <laughs> oh really I haven't gotten there yet <laughs> I will keep that in mind 
That's wonderful. Yeah. So uh, I'm, so we talked a little bit about how you have done all of this research and, you know, around near death experiences, spiritual experiences. I'm wondering, have you gone deep into any sort of like paranormal experiences, like going deeper into spirituality, like maybe like UFOs or you talked about remote viewing. UFOs. I haven't looked at the research, but I do kind of take an approach to that that kind of works for my common sense as for everything. And common sense is a difficult one to talk about because common sense relies on the context you have regarding what you're talking about. If you don't do much research into genuine paranormal phenomenon or, you know, consciousness phenomenon, of course, your common sense is going to be very different. Most people's common sense would dictate as it did for us for a while that once you're dead, you're dead. But once you have the context surrounding the research done and the phenomena that exists, then it becomes something very different. But from my perspective on UFOs, to take that as an example, there's pretty much no doubt in my mind that life exists beyond humanity and beyond the Earth. Just the scale of the universe is so vast that it would be virtually statistically impossible <laughs> that there isn't life somewhere else. However, the distances that one would need to travel and the technology that one would need to to develop to traverse the speed of light in order to get from millions of light years away to the earth would be as far as physics as we know it impossible so i think that yes i think that ufos may be extraterrestrial to use that word uh, the vast majority of them are not of course but the odd few of them likely are and i think that some extraterrestrial visitations are possibly accurate however i don't think they are extraterrestrial in the sense of coming from other solar systems in other galaxies in space i, th I think they're interdimensional because to me it seems far more feasible that if these extraterrestrials are indeed extraterrestrials that they could utilize some kind of technology to phase between realities in the same physical space because i mean from our context of, of spirituality there does seem to be these other wavelengths that are invisible to physical to our physical life as it is but that seem to exist and coexist on a different layer of reality to us um and as i say physics as we currently know it travel from such distances within this one dimension seems impossible and yet but yet you know traveling between environments would seem a lot more feasible mainly because we don't understand the nature of those environments, um, but also that the, the, you're occupying the same space. So it's literally just a case of changing your radio from frequency 2.5 to frequency 2.7, you know, and that to me seems much more feasible technology for a, a um, more advanced civilization to, to allow. And I often wonder if these alien visitations aren't, spiritual beings from these other dimensions where they be humans who have passed on or again you know at this point it is complete speculation because we don't know we don't understand those environments if they exist so we can only speculate you know you think of folks like david ike who talks about reptilians and at the surface seems crazy and i don't agree with everything he says but when he talks about you know reptilians phasing across dimensions you start to think well that could be feasible because we don't know those environments we we seem to be very confident now that there are these other dimensions um from the spiritual perspective that we seem to go to after death so why not 
if people have seen these reptilians or these or these or these aliens that seem to appear out of no nothing or whatever then why not you know we don't know but it's certainly something worth considering yeah i definitely agree with that uh with the conclusion sort of of coming to that it, it's more than likely interdimensional more than more than it could be anything else you know and yeah reality is so big once you start looking into this stuff it's like i it's just, it's so expansive, you know, and it can be, there's so many rabbit holes to go down. So like, for me, I find that when I start to go down these holes that are like a little bit darker, I try to pull myself out of it because, you know, my thoughts are creating my reality. So if I find one video about like, you know, that there's like evil powers, like ruling the universe, then my thoughts will start to create more of that. And I'll find more and more and more things to confirm that reality. So I try to keep myself as spirit centered as I can, you know, and, and I love diving into the thought of like, you know, interdimensions and how I also love the idea of infinity and parallel timelines and alternate realities. Like there are an infinite version number, like there's an infinite number of me doing all of the things like that I fractured off in different parts in my story. So going on that theme, and because you've done so much research, like around spirituality, and you've talked to so many experiencers, do you have any thoughts around pre-birth planning? I think there's enough cases to suggest that pre-planning is something that takes place whether that leads to a deterministic kind of philosophy that well we've planned everything so everything is planned and that everything will happen i think is an error um because it would seem from the various experiences that people report and this is you could argue is anecdotal but i think there's enough cases and enough literature now to call them to class them more as case studies as opposed to anecdotes because a lot of these anecdotes also include veridical aspects where they see objective things that can be reported back which kind of suggests that well if, if this is verifiable and this is objectively shown to be true then why can't the rest of the experience it may not be but um take take it for granted in this case that that it is I think it's an error to say that everything is predetermined just because we planned it before birth, because there is still that aspect of free will. We seem to be able to plan generally our lives. We can go back to my book as an example. I've got on my little pad, <laughs> I've got the outline for every chapter um, that I wrote at the beginning as I was very early on to plan, right, this chapter is going to do this, this is going to do this, this is what's going to happen at the end. Um, then I start writing it and it's, it's all gone completely out of the window. So that, that pad's now useless because I've got no idea what's going to happen. And although it does follow the same kind of general structure, it's just very different to what I originally planned. And I think it's very, quite similar to life. We are We do have challenges that we are inevitably going to face, but how we face them and how we interpret them and what we do with the knowledge we've gained through facing them is not necessarily what we would have envisaged during our early life or our pre-life planning stage so we may plan the events but we don't plan our reaction to them or the effects they have and which direction that then takes us so i think i think yeah pre-birth planning does seem to take place but it doesn't necessarily mean that our lives are completely determined from start to finish 
I love that. Yeah. And I love that you used your book as an example, because that's kind of what it feels like, you know, with the concept of pre-birth planning from my own experience, being shown my pre-birth plan, like the bones of the story are set, but like anything can take place inside of those plot points. So I love that you used your own book as an example for that, because yeah, that's really what it feels like. It feels like chapter outlines. Um, and you know, like in my life, I feel like I've gone back chapters. I'm like, you know what? No, let me just like travel back here and, you know, make a big giant loop and a U-turn. And, um, so I love that. So yeah, just, I'm, I'm just thinking sort of about like all mystical experiences. I love the way that your mind works. I want to get your take on them. So as far as like soulmates, or have you heard about the concept of twin flames? Do you have any sort of conception around that or around like, from what I understand about twin flames is that it's one soul in two bodies, the feminine and masculine energy. So I'm wondering if you have any sort of thoughts around that. I mean, with that sort of thing, it, it, we really don't know because it's, first of all, to talk about souls splitting into two lifetimes, you're talking about, first and foremost, the concept of soul, something that we don't have the science to research or to understand. So we're going to be completely speculating based on what people have, have reported. I can very easily envisage a concept of soulmates, of um, souls who repeatedly incarnate together into lifetimes, whether it be human, whether it be Earth or wherever else. If I have a soulmate, it will be my mum, because we're we're not just, you know, mum and son. We're a lot, lot more than that. You know, best friends is an understatement. And... Even, you know, my my late dog who passed would be one of my soulmates and definitely one of my mum's soulmates because just the connection is far deeper there than any other connection between anybody that we've ever known. Um, I know Michael Newton in his books, Life, um, Destiny of Souls and Journey of Souls, in fact, Journey of Souls first, then Destiny of Souls, talks a lot about... Um, soulmates and soul groups and soul families so that's one to look at what he talks about generally is that everybody who incarnates has a soul family which is a group of souls who incarnate together frequently throughout lives in different roles so it might be mother and son it might be father and brother it might be dog and owner you know um the only thing I'd say about Michael Newton's books is be very very careful because when you get into the realms of hypnotherapy which it focuses on you open the door to suggestion from the hypnotherapist and leading questions and things like that. So it's not necessarily the most um, reliable source of information for these sort of things, but it's certainly interesting the consistency between all the cases that he mentions. Um, if you want to look at this sort of thing, I'd, I'd more recommend Robert Monroe's books, Journeys Out of the Body and etc., cetera, um, because he, he did these out-of-body explorations naturally and kind of investigated these environments himself as opposed to doing it through hypnotic suggestion which could subconsciously inject your own beliefs into the experience so to speak wow that's really interesting and uh, another person who writes really amazing literature around pre-birth planning is robert schwartz and in his book um your soul's gift he has a whole chapter on pets about like if we choose the pets that we come into form with. So I love that you shared about that. And yeah, you know, uh, those, yeah, some, some of that literature, you know, like 
Michael Newton and Robert Schwartz specifically gave me, it gives a lot of uh, comfort, you know, to know that like, I'm not a victim to my circumstance, things are planned and there's an outline and I don't really have to worry too much. And that's what I think that they're trying to accomplish with, with that literature. That's what they accomplished in my life anyway. And so I'm really grateful for that. Have you ever um, attempted doing hypnotherapy for yourself or any sort of like past life regression? Do you feel like you've been on earth before? That was a lot of questions all at once. Take your time. (laughs) I've been to a single hypnotherapy session for anxiety. It's for anyone that hasn't done hypnotherapy is effectively meditation with guided imagery effectively. Um, which puts you into this relaxed state. And that was the only time I'd done it professionally. I didn't really notice much difference, but I'd only been once. It's generally something you need to repeat and practice to to get the benefits of. Um, I also I did buy Robert Monroe's talking about Robert Monroe, his um it's called Hemisync CDs, which is which are designed to get you into a state where you can um initialize an out-of-body experience yourself and just go and explore these realms or these states of mind, which is a form of hypnotherapy um, based on what's called hemispheral synchronization technology. And it's basically, if you know what binaural beats are, um, in one ear, it plays a tone. In the other ear, it plays another tone of a slightly different hertz value, so slightly higher or lower tone. And your brain effectively synthesizes the difference between the two tones in such a way that it, it connects whatever that means the um right and left hemisphere so they work in synchronization which allows you to enter these higher states but effectively it is a, a matter of, of hypnotherapy as well because you also then have to undergo certain visualization techniques and methods to get yourself into these various different mind states which should allow for out-of-body experiences and i've done a few of those but i just haven't had time to sit down and do the whole thing and there are there have been some strange experiences I've had. So, for example, you, you, I was lying there with my eyes closed, trying to imagine my body coming coming out and separating from my physical body. Um, and the 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 blackness, I suppose, when you close your eyes, became very light grey for no reason. And that's as far as it got. So I can't really talk about what happens after that. But that's as far as it got for my experience. Uh, so that is effectively my experience with hypnotherapy. Um, what was your other question? I was asking about past lives. Do you think past that lives. you've been on earth before? I I don't know. I think the only point that I would have to say that I may have been is the is my interests and my general kind of level of maturity compared to other people of my age. Because a lot of people have said that I have always been kind of wise beyond me years as they say and uh, several people have said you're definitely you've been here many times before so that could be the case i generally attribute my kind of my my maturity in my life view down to the the depression as i say you know when you get to that stage of the depression you're forced to grow up to to survive you know you're forced to realize what's important what isn't what's valuable what isn't and you know what's worth worrying about and what isn't um but certainly i think that past lives are a thing through looking at um ian stevenson's work on on reincarnation and jim tucker's more recently as well as jim matlock who i've had on on my podcast to talk about this stuff there are very interesting cases 
of unknown people who have had past lives of as unknown people who have come back and have said here are for example there's a guy called marty martin who was an extra in hollywood movies never credited no one ever knew really who he was and a guy who exists now i think he's still around i think he was a boy when he mentioned it so he must still be around came and said you know i was this guy marty martin or i don't think he named him but he said i was this guy they found who he was later and he listed off 50 facts about this guy that were correct as well as some facts that weren't accurate but i think it was it was either 50 that were correct or it was 50 in total the vast majority of which were correct but i think it was 50 in total that were correct and it was weird um unguessable things like my sister had a dog called whatever and um i drove a red bmw or something like that and it was very generally unguessable things that were very individual to each person and say 50 of them spot on and they were able to go back and find this guy based on the descriptions and again found that everything that the kid had said or the vast majority of what the kid had said was completely accurate and that's one of i think one of the strongest cases you also have of course the james lineager case which i won't go into but that's also very strong you can find that online anywhere um been contested recently but there's a back and forth between it between the researchers and the skeptics so i think uh, among many others there is a strong enough case to suggest that past lives may indeed be a be a part of reality yeah i think with that case with the kid that you're talking about with this marty martin um the child who had said all of this i think he was like eight years old when they people mm-hmm. finally started listening to him and then they found the family and he was like 15 when that happened. The kid was. And by then a lot of it had disappeared. You know, like mm-hmm. he wasn't as connected to the life because he had been, you know, programmed into this life. Yeah. That, that is amazing when that happens and it's documented and yeah, it's in the surviving death uh, docu-series on mm-hmm. Netflix. That, that particular story is along with another really amazing one about reincarnation as well. Yeah, that's a, that's a topic that definitely fascinates me. And I love that you said that the things that, that that you're interested in, you know, like I feel the same way, like, why do I have such an affinity towards Egypt, you know, or like whatever my interests are that pique me so much. I feel like it must be something that my spirit is carrying with me from lifetime to lifetime. Mm-hmm. So, of yeah. course you must you must be careful in the sense that although you might have interest in some unusual things you know not every interest you have is related to a past life and a lot of people seem to be once they believe in a certain phenomenon they seem to go all in and kind of lose track of what common sense says well yes this could be related to a past life this could be related to an after-death communication but it might also not be I mean, for example there's a there's a phenomenon called pareidolia that I see a lot on the on the forums online on Facebooks and Twitters and it's people who post a picture of some random scene a tree or something and they say look my dog came back to visit me in this picture in the in the clouds and you look and there's nothing there and you you can't obviously say that that you're you're seeing things effectively um because obviously in a grief-stricken mind you're desperate looking for everything you can but 
the mind is very, very good at, at tricking you into seeing things that, that aren't there when you want them to be there. And there are, of course, genuine, um, genuine deathbed visions and genuine uh, after death communication. I've had them, you know, my dad's had them who he never believed in any of this nonsense up until a month ago when weird stuff started happening to him. Um, so genuine after death communications do happen and genuine signs do happen. But when we try and see it in everything, then we start to kind of fool ourselves, I suppose. So it's, it's a very easy trap to get into. It's just one that you've got to be careful with. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know if I'm as cautious with that because it makes my experience a lighter one, a better one. Like for me, this is just my personal experience. But when I see spirit in everything, it makes me feel so supported. And, you know, like I can lean on that. I can like, I can fall back on the knowledge that I am divinely guided every step of the way. And so that's just something that's happened to me in the last couple of years that, you know, and also I think with something like that, with like being able to see something in a picture that nobody else can see, sometimes I feel like you know, like spirit can, you know, we're seeing things through our own eyes. Like, I don't know if you see the color red the same way that I see the color red, you know what I mean? That's mm. perception. So I think that for me, like spirit can sometimes put like a sheet over my eyes and I can see things a certain way that maybe mm. somebody else doesn't, you know, mm. but for me, it's finding the temperance of like, how do I balance that with actually being on earth and being a human and being part of a society mm. that doesn't see mm. through spirit lens all the time? Yeah, and that makes sense. But for me, that that kind of view that every, every sign that someone gets may indeed be be spirit working through them that wouldn't work for my my lifestyle because for me that would that would be well then I can use that explanation for everything and we'd never be able to determine what is an actual experience and what is not because certainly you know, it's almost certain that a lot of these experiences aren't aren't synchronicities or, or whatever and some are just coincidence um and i think if, if you have that view that everything we, we can we could say that everything is is spirit i think for me would be unhelpful because then i could just uh, it, it becomes unfalsifiable you know you can't then determine which are, are genuine and which may not be and differentiate between them you know but that, that's just differences in in how we look at things there's no no right or wrong way of doing it it's just a different and that that's what frustrates me with um with things like like racism and and bigotry and all this sort of thing and you see it a lot again recently with the, with the whole gender questions and things like that is it frustrates me because people are dividing themselves over effectively in my opinion definitions because we're talking about the same things we're just using different words to describe them and what works for one person may not necessarily work for another that doesn't mean one's right or wrong it just means that they're seeing life and they approach life in a different way like for example i've always said you know from my point of view the way i was brought up and the way i understand life uh, i equate sex and gender to be to to be the same thing male and female people will say that's wrong I disagree. I think it's just a different way of looking at, at life. You know, I, I don't deny, for example, that transgender people are real. They are. I just can't see them as anything other than what they were what they were born, because that's just the way I understand life. 
doesn't mean I'm wrong. It just means I see life differently, you know. I think that's kind of the the thing about just being part of the human experience, you know, mm. like being part of what we're doing here is that everybody sees things through different lenses. You're right. There mm. is no right. There is no wrong. I don't believe that there is, you know, there's, there's just more and more experience and, you know, like from like spiritual, from like a spiritual perspective, like the spiritual laws of the universe, you know, like the spirit, you know, there's spirit universal laws that say that we are one, you know, like the law of oneness and, you know, connectedness, interconnectedness. And so somebody has a different opinion than me. It's just another piece of me, you know, like, and mm. that's, that's what I feel like the universe wants to experience. It wants to experience all these different things, you know, before it comes into whatever happens, you know, <laughs> whatever, mm. whatever happens from here, you know. But yeah, this has been an amazing conversation. I'm so grateful for you. Thank you for helping me put this together. And thank you for coming and being so vulnerable. And um, we're definitely going to put links to your podcast and how to get a hold of you. And yeah, I'm so grateful that you were willing to come and have a chat with me today. Great. No worries. Yeah, I'm glad the podcast is going well. I hope it keeps going strong for you. Thanks so much. All right. We'll see you next time. Be wavy. Bye-bye.